This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. You're listening to our Ketuanan Pengundi of Voter Supremacy series in collaboration with Bursi. This series will explore six key reforms that the Coalition for Clean and Fair Elections is championing to empower voters ahead of the 15th general elections. On the second episode of the series, we discuss why we need to push for a recall elections law on top of the anti-hopping law we already have. Joining me on the show today is political scientist Dr. Wong Chin Huat of Versi. Welcome to the show, Chin Huat. Thanks for having me, Dashran. Before we talk about party hopping, right, before we even talk about what we can do about it, what has been done about it, I want to understand first and foremost why politicians hop in the first place. Because while most people in Malaysia, we think of Katans, we think of party hopping as something related to Lanka Sheraton, but as we know, that is not necessarily the case. Party hopping has been part of the fabric of Malaysian politics for ages. So why do politicians, uh, MPs or adons hop after a particular election? Well, the most basic reason that MPs or adons hop to another party or simply by leaving their original party is they have grown apart politically. It's just like people getting divorced and then maybe they later remain single or they they get remarried again, right? right? So so it's not necessarily an issue. But the issues that why we have trouble with anti uh, with party hopping is that when it happens too frequently, even if it's out of genuine political differences, or worse, when this is induced by personal calculations, for example, to get a better job in government, to prevent themselves from being charged in court. Right. So what you're saying is that party hopping in and of itself does not necessarily have to be a bad thing per se. Because let's say if I am a member of Party Burong, um, because I believe that Party Burong um, has a particular set of ideology, perhaps they are a leftist party, for example. And then after one year, I'm in the party and then I realise, hey, this party is becoming more and more right-wing. It doesn't align with my ideology. And then I leave the party. That's one reason why people may leave, right? And that's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. In fact, that we need to leave parties the room to evolve, including to break up or to merge. Why? Imagine that we have a restrictive anti-hopping law in 2016. Mohidin, Muklis, Shafi'i might just kowtow to Najib instead of raising their objections on the 1MDB scandal. And you would not have Pesatu and Warisan. Right. Likewise, in 2015, what we call Amana today, those pra- more pragmatic Islamists would have stay back in past. Now, so how many of you would think that it's a bad thing that we have new parties splitting out from UMNO and PAS when they were not driven by material seductions? Now, speaking of materials, um, certain independent MPs, they always jump over to the winning side. Um, and when they're asked, why do you jump, right? Why not remain as an independent? They always say, but for us to get funds from the government, 
we have to be part of the government. So the implication is that whoever the government is, whichever side, tends to have the benefit um, when it comes to funding. Talk to me a little bit about this. When elected representative hopes from one party to another, sometimes it's exactly they would argue that they are doing it for the benefits of voters mm-hmm. and they may be supported by voters. Why? The problem behind that is patronage politics. And that's go back to what do we really expect of our lawmakers to do? Now, you, if you're a very sophisticated voter, you would say that we need our MPs or state assembly persons to check on the government, uh, to make law, to scrutinize uh, government policies and so on. But if you look at the actual time that our parliament is in sitting uh, in the past 20 years before COVID, the average was only 60 days. Right. And the time for the dunes are somewhere less than, from less than one week to at most three weeks. And we have very few committees at the federal level and almost none with exceptions of states like Slango. So most of the time, lawmakers don't really make law. They may question certain government policies and so on, but their debates hardly change the content of bill to be passed. Right. So why do people vote for lawmakers? For many people, it's actually a vote for the ATM machine. Now, if you happen to be an opposition MP, that ATM machine simply has no cash. (laughs) So there is a temptation for people to work for those in government or sometimes those ATM machines decide to say, well, those MP, YB decide that since my job is to be an ATM machine, I should be a good ATM machine and then I should join the government. And they probably, their move might be supported by voters. Let me give you this fact. From May 2018 to July 2020, 24 adults out of 60 in Sabah, in the Sabah State Legislative Assembly, jumped from right. one party to another. Not even collision. This is party hopping. Right. And 17 of them went back to the same constituency to seek re-election in the Sabah State Elections in September 2020. Right. 11 of them won. You're talking about a success rate of tutor, a close to tutor. Why? Because their voters do not see what's wrong. They just want they, they just want to support those MP as long as they jump to the government party, federal right. or state. Right? But if you become independent, you're going to be a poorer ATM than before, then of course they, they lose their contest. So why do we need an anti-hopping law then? Well if you look at the 22 months before Lanka Sheraton's, you have 17 Amno MPs jump from Amno, out of Amno, and 15 of them joined Besatu. Right. You have fewer people complaining about that. So part of the reason is really partisanship. A lot of people who complain about party hopping did not complain so, did not do so when PH was the beneficiary. But come back to the larger question here is that our system. Uh, until the Sheraton move, was based on this 
idea of simple majority government and pre-election coalitions. On that ground, then people are voting in, most people are voting in their elected representative based on which government they would form after elections. Right. So that would be seen as a direct betrayer. How are you feeling now that the anti-hopping law has been passed in parliament? What are your thoughts on the, the type of law that was passed in parliament? Well, I think it's a good thing uh, to the extent that more voters feel that they have some sense of control. But I would not think uh, that law has no unintended consequences. Why? The anti-hopping law we had is to say that an MP, if you have left your party, resigned from your party, or ceased to be a member of the party, or if you have been elected as an independent and now you want to join the party, your seat would be vacated so that the voters have a choice to decide if you want to re-contest again the by-election, whether to elect you in or not. In brief, is to return the mandate to the voters so that they have a choice. So before we get into um, the flaws of the current anti-hopping law, um, let's ex- uh, break down the mechanics of it. How exactly will it work? So let's say we go back to 2020. Imagine a law like this already existed. Of course, if the law like this already existed, you can argue that Lankashatan wouldn't have happened at all. But let's just say those people were really determined. They're like, I don't care that the law exists or whatever. I'm going to make these moves. So two important points. One of it is Bursatu um, leaving. And one more is PKR members, not PKR as a whole, just uh, Azmin Ali and his um, gang of um, PKR members leaving to um, form a coalition with Barisan National, PAS, GPS, so on and so forth. Who will be punished, um, you know, taking into consideration Lanka Sheraton? If we want to imagine what would happen, you have to put it right just before uh, May 9, 2018. So after elections, no one would jump. Independent cannot join parties. Mm-hmm. Then PH would have only one to one seats. PAS would have 18 seats as is now. BN would have 79 seats. Out of PH one to one seats, one to one including Warisan, Basatu controls 13 seats. If Basatu decide to pull out, you do the math, mm-hmm. you'll be left with only 108 seats. So the government collapse. Right. So Anti-hopping law cannot stop it in that yes. way. The anti-hopping law has many clauses, right? Um, it blocks party hopping, but then it allows coalition formation. So if you go back to Lanka Sheraton, um, we look at three different factions here. On the one hand, you have the Mohidin faction of Bursatu, which left and blocked Pakatan Harapan to form a new coalition with, uh, with BN, Pasan, and so forth. When a coalition leaves like that, is that allowed under the new anti-hopping law? Yes. The anti-hopping law does not punish party from leaving coalitions. So Basatu could just jump over. And you must not forget that Mahadi was more or less supportive of the Sheraton move, except with the final design. 
So they would have crossover, and and if the split is really because that over the issues of identity politics, as much as you don't like it, you have to accept that and say, well, PH no longer command a majority. Uh, to make it more tricky, mm-hmm. let's say that happened, mm-hmm. and some people in Besatu decided that this is so wrong, and we were elected on PH. Yes. Especially in Nanjung, it was under it was on PKR flag. Remember, right. so he decided to say no. I want to stay back with the coalition. Under our current anti-hopping law, he would be a fraud, and he would have to face by-election. Right. So that is very interesting, right? The likes of Said Sadeh, Mazli Malay, and so on and so forth, who essentially stuck to their principles in, in essence. They are the ones that will be considered a fraud because they didn't follow their party um, and decided to stay with Pakatan Harapan. Okay, so now let's move on to Azmin Ali and gang. What would have happened? Because um, Bersatu left and blocked, few of them stayed back. But Azmin Ali, um, for example, Babi Zuraida and, and so on and so forth, decided... Um, they want to leave PKR and join that coalition, perhaps join Bersatu or as independent candidates or whatever, but now join the other coalition. What would have happened had we had that law? Their seat would have been vacated. They would have to face by-election. And so some of them, most of them probably would not survive in the by-election and therefore they probably would not jump. On the show with me today is political scientist Dr. Wong Chin Huat of Bursi. After the break, we discuss the importance of pushing for a law that would allow recall elections. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan and you're listening to the second episode of our Ketuanan Pengundi series in collaboration with Berse. On this episode, I'm joined by political scientist Dr. Wong Chin Huat of Berse and we're talking about the need for a law that would allow recall elections. So, Chin Huat. Now, Berse has stated many times that it's not that Berse is against the anti-hopping law as is, but it has a preference for a recall law or a sort of recall elections um, mechanism on top of the um, anti-hopping law. What does that mean and how is it different from the current anti-hopping law that has already been passed in Parliament? Okay. Now, recall mechanisms come in at least four variations. And the one proposed by Perse is a synthesis of two variations. In the version proposed by Berse and later adopted by MP of Pengarang, Datuk Sri Azalina Osman Said, voters cannot simply recall their elected representative based on any ground. Rather, they can only do it under three broad categories of ground. The first is party hopping, including coalition hopping, including getting sacked by the party. Second is that if they have committed serious offence, but the offence is not strong enough for them to be punished with 
at least a year of imprisonment or a fine of 2,000 ringgit to cause automatic seat vacation. Right. Third is that if they have been absent for 50% of the time in a consecutive six-month period, the current constitutions allow elected representatives to get away with absenteeism if the speakers grant them leave. Right. The Bursley version is that, no, if you are absent for more than 50% of the time in six months, the voters decide whether they want to sack you. So right. you see, a part of that law was actually to take the power away from judges, from speakers, to give to voters. But the other part, the most important part related to party hopping, is to take away the power from party leaders to give to voters. So you ask, what's the fundamental difference from this Versailles, Azalina versions of anti-hopping recall law mm-hmm. and uh, the, the anti-hopping law that has been passed right. is that we place the power in the hand of voters. Now, first thing you need is a registered voter in the constituency to go to the EC mm-hmm. and pay 10000 because it's a parliamentary constituency. Right. The same deposit that you need to pay if you are running. Mm-hmm. And to trigger the process, then uh, because the act of hopping has already happened, right? For uh, the recall mechanism to be triggered, mm-hmm. so after you pay the deposits, it get triggered, and then what you have to do is that EC would need to set up boats in five places, at least five places in the constituency for three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is that you bring your IC and you say, well, there is a form here that I agree for Asbin Ali to be sacked. Right. And then you sign. Now, if the consenting signatures, because go up to 40% of the total registered voters or half of the last turnout, let's mm-hmm. say Asbin Ali constituency uh the, the last turnout in 2018 was only 70%, then you need 35%. Right. So once you cross a threshold, whether it's 40% or something lower, the EC would have to call a by-election. This apply not mm-hmm. only to Asmin Ali, but more importantly, apply to those who hop, whose party hop from one coalition to another. So that is fantastic, right? Because you are, like you said, giving... Um, the people the power to decide on whether or not a constituency should have a by-election after the MP um, decides to hop. Now, people might be listening to you, Jin Huat, and us and, and scratching their heads wondering, but why so complicated then? You know, why do we need this extra step? What benefit is this extra step compared to what we have right now, which is if there is a hop, a case of hopping, automatically, does the seat get uh, you know gets vacated? Isn't like an automatic system better? Let me start with the cost part. Mm-hmm. Now, a recall mechanism works as a filter right. to see whether you need a by-election. So let's say uh, the incumbent is very popular in the constituency. Then having a recall is actually saving the cost of actually running a by-election. Because people may not even want to start knowing that they're not going to work. They do not want to, uh, you know, their 10,000 10, deposits to be wasted, right? right? So you could, in the extreme case, you would just kill off those chances. 
Now, of course, it would say it's an extra step only when you know that the incumbents who have hopped are so unpopular that they will lose in the by-elections. But the real usefulness of recall is in the middle ground, where we do not know which way it goes. So why do we need this filter? It comes in in two ways. Particularly, one is collation hopping. Remember that the existing law, the one that we have now, cannot deal with Basatu hopping from Pakatan Harapan to form a new collations. Right. But this recall law allowed that to happen. Now, second is about expulsions from the party. If someone gets expelled by the party, if an elected representative gets expelled by the party, it's technically hopping. But should that person be punished? This is really where why we need this system. On that second point, right, Chin Huat, um, yeah. because that was something that many people were very concerned about as well, about how this would give um, party presidents so much of power because they can just sack someone automatically by election than someone else. You know, they can just um, continuously sack people um, who do not agree with them and, and things like that and automatically that seat will be vacated. But then um, after discussions in parliament and, and after scrutiny, there's an added clause in the current version of the anti-hopping law in which if you get sacked by your party, yes, you will lose your party membership, but that will not trigger an automatic by-elections. So if let's say even if Ismail Sabri, the prime minister of the country, gets sacked, he wouldn't be a member of UMNO, but he will still be an active MP in parliament, still be the prime minister and yeah. all of that. So with this added clause, why is recall elections still a better option? Now, the trick of that issue is that if the party now has no power to sack elected representatives who want to cross over, right. as long as they do not resign, then the anti-hopping law becomes toothless. Because all I need to do is stay back in the party, sabotage you all the time to force you to sack me, or to live with the fact that I'm practically an enemy from within and right. you can't do anything. So right. the problem with the anti, the conventional or traditional anti-hopping law is, is so rigid, either you give the party too much power or too little power. Right. So our solution is to say, no, why should we leave it to the party leaders? Leave it to the voters. If voters cannot be bothered, then the incumbents survive. If the voters are angry, then they get to sack them. And why should voters be given that power but not political leaders? Because ultimately, voters are the boss. Absolutely. And is this why, because of this added clause in the anti-hopping law, we are starting to see parties make amendments to their constitution as well? Because in re response to um, the anti-hopping law, that the current version of anti-hopping law that's been passed in parliament, um, as I understand, DAP has made some um, amendment to their party constitution, constitution. as well. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Technically, the anti-hopping law did not mm -hmm. add a additional clause, mm -hmm. but they just take away the, the clause that would include expulsion. Right. Now, the current law still have something sounding very innocent. If the elected representative ceases to be a member of the party, what does it mean? It can be very innocent. For example, if you do not pay your party membership due, 
you, you lose your party membership and therefore you lose the seats. That's fair, right? Right. What DAP did, has done and might be emulated by other parties is to amend their party constitution so that any elected representative who defy or choose not to comply with directives from the party, their act would cause them to cease to be a member of the party. I guess the argument to that would be most people vote based on parties rather than individuals, right? There, there could be certain cases here and there where people really vote for the individual. But I think mostly when you look at Malaysia as a whole, people look at the flag and they vote based on the logo. So wouldn't you want all MPs that carry a particular logo or represent a particular party with a with particular set of ideals or particular manifesto to just toe the party line and just follow that rather than MPs going rogue and, and causing problems that way? Rather, wouldn't people as a whole be sleep better at night knowing that now that this party is in power, this party gets to do what it wants essentially and all the MPs of that particular party needs to toe the line and follow? Now, that depends on who you trust more. An elected politicians who act on his or her own way, or a group of them, or their party leaders. The assumptions that it's good to leave the party leaders to make the decision is you can trust the party leadership. Give me, I'll give you an example. Let's say uh, during PH time, Mahati went back on PH promise on the Linus plant in Kuantan. Right. And you have a few MPs who were who got elected on oppositions to Linus. Right. So assuming that these MPs decided to challenge the government and uh, if there is a vote in the parliament and they decided to defy the government uh, order to vote for Linus and they get sacked, do you think that would be fair? Now, people would argue and say, never mind, because they have faith, uh, they have by-election, they can contest again, and they can win. Right. Now, that's assuming things are always black and white. What if a situation is not so black and white? Do you recall that uh, somewhere around 2015 in Penang, five Aduns from PKR decided to abstain on a motion tabled by an Amno Adun, opposition Adun, regarding the uh, transportation plan in Penang. Right. And they were punished by the state government, not by sacking them. But if you have an anti-hopping law, these people may be sacked. And do you expect them to say uh, they would win all their by-elections? No. If you are politicians, just like anyone in a paid job, Mm -hmm. your first concern might be about keeping your job. Most MPs would just toe the party line. And that go back to the biggest problem. With a very restrictive anti-hopping law, our parliament and state legislature would become rubber stamp to the executive as long as the government has a simple majority. Because wow. they can use the anti-hopping law to discipline all their backbenchers. Minister and deputy minister, exco members cannot vote against your government. Right. But in the Westminster decision, government backbenchers can do so. 
But with this anti-hopping law, it would not happen. And this is why the Indian anti-hopping law, which is the strictest in the world, is bad. They would punish anyone who defy, any lawmakers who defy their party whips. And when DAP amended its party constitution to have the same effect, like the Indian anti-hopping law, we are heading the wrong directions. Imagine if all parties do the same, or and, and the next government with majority, even if it's a coalition government, use this law to punish their government backbenchers, then the parliament would have no control on the government. So what prevented the cabinet and parliament from tabling the anti-hopping recall law as Berse and YB Azalina has proposed because y'all have had many discussions with members of parliament. What was their concern? Well, the problem is rather that they do not have concern. <laughs> many MPs who oppose party hopping make it very clear. We just want something to tell the voters we have done something. And since most people do not know what recall is, but the traditional anti-hopping law has been advocated uh, by Mr. Lim Kit Siang since 1978. Right. Everyone know what it is. We should just go for that. They do not want a more sophisticated solution. On this, I must give the credit to Datuk Sri Azalina Osman Said because she was seriously concerned about the unintended consequences of a conventional, traditional anti-hopping law and she spent time to refine the recall, recall bill drafted by Bersi. Had we had enough Azalina in the parliament, we would have had a recall law instead of a traditional anti-hopping law. And one more reason that why we could not get this through is our parliament does not have an effective channel for private members, meaning government backbenchers, opposition members, to have their bill debated and voted on. So Azalina submitted her bill. First time it was accepted, but put at the bottom of the agenda. The second time it was thrown out. And the Parliamentary Special Select Committee that was formed to study the anti-hopping law simply ignored this. But the minister and some of the PSSC members did say we can consider a recall as a part two, which is possible. If now, even with this traditional anti-hopping law, we can still use a recall law, and this can be adopted at the state level as well, to cover collision hopping, to cover expulsion. The federal law, federal anti-hopping law, wants to impose a carbon copy of itself on all the states. Now, the state do not have to do this. The right. state can actually either go for a hybrid, meaning what you have in the federal law and what we just talked about on a supplementary recall bill, or you simply have a recall law. My next question, right, ties back to something we discussed very early on, and it ties back to one of the reasons why people hop. And let's just assume that um, we are going for the noble reason of or one of the, the reasons in which people hop, and that is they say, um, if we are not part of the government, we are not going to get our constituency funds. And as we know in Malaysia, the opposition side always or ha has been for the longest time uh, receiving lower 
constituency funds. But then, zero in the past was zero. Yeah, exactly. So zero, and then during Harapan's time, they increased it a little bit, but it's still not equal, right? So on that front, right, I I I see I can see one flaw with the uh, the anti hopping law, right? So now. Let's say even if you want to jump because you say my constituency has no money at all, um, there's an anti-hopping law and you cannot jump, right? What do we do about it? Do we need to... You can actually jump. It's just that after jumping, you have to face uh, by-elections. But if your voters think that, say, I want you to be in government and then they jump and they will win the by-elections. Do we also then need to think about institutionalizing equal constituency development funding so that this can no longer be an excuse or it can no longer give you know give the power to the winning side to hold um, losing side constituencies as hostage yes certainly we should do so we have had this in practice in full mm-hmm. in para uh, due to a confidence supply agreement between the new AMNO state government and the PH opposition, and then later at the federal level because of the MOU on political transformation and stability. And uh, uh, we have some sort of uh, not fully equal, but, but certain degrees of uh, funding for the oppositions in states from uh, PH in Selangor, Penang, uh, to PBN State in Malacca and Johor and so on. But this is not enough. What we need is a law so that the amount we fix uh, given to all elected representatives, regardless of party affiliation, and most of all, no money can be given to so-called constituency coordinators of the ruling party. Because it's pointless to say, I give both of you the same amount, but in the opposition constituency, I give another chunk of money to my proxy, uh, my future candidates to counter uh, offer to the voters. Now, I come back here. The, The core issue is that we should also minimize competitions based on money, constituency development fund, services, infrastructure, we should encourage parties to compete on policy idea. But before we can get rid of patronage and politics of services, we need to at least provide a level playing field. And what's the price when we do not sort this out? The price, among others, is the perpetuations of ethno-religious politics. Let me explain to you. When the government can win without competing on policy idea because they monopolize all the constituency development fund, the opposition would have little incentive to offer better policy idea. So if they win, you end up having parties that give you unrealizable promises or incompetent minister, federal or state level. Now, what is worse is that when most opposition get queued off because they cannot compete either in policy idea or in patronage, what kind of politicians would sub- opposition would survive? It would be those that they are based on ethno-religious sentiments. When your politics is characterized by opposition based on identity politics, 
then even if you have multi-ethnic, moderate government, the government alone cannot get this country moving on. Before we wrap this conversation up, Chin Huat, I would just like to have some a final message or some final thoughts um, with regard to anti-hopping law. Because I think you have pointed out flaws with the current anti-hopping law. But what we do have ultimately as we head towards GE15 is the conventional anti-hopping law. Are we in a better place right now, democratically, uh, when it comes to electoral um, politics compared to the day um, leading up to Lanka Sheraton and, and so on and so forth? Yes, we are definitely better than before because that party hopping is an issue. So it's like you have a disease. And now we simply, the problem is that we think a medicine is a bit too strong. Right. You just have to remember that at some point this medicine would cause trouble for you and you must be prepared to say, well, we need to switch to another medication. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. That was political scientist Dr. Wong Chin Huat of Bursi. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan and this has been Ketuanan Pengundi on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.